everybody. Hey, welcome back from the break. It is time to get forward back into the Bible. We are in Acts chapter 17 in the middle of the second missionary journey, picking up in the middle of the chapter and the middle of the trip. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing. God, now we look to your eternal God-breathed word. It's alive and sharp and like a scalpel, able to cut into our weary hearts and souls and do the work that only God can do. We're all ears. God, we're open because your word brings hope. Your word restores our souls. Your word brings life. So have your way, Father. We are open in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been... (laughs) talking about uh, earlier about that epic cycling adventure down the coast of California. Well, now we switch gears to a truly epic adventure, not down the coast of California, but down the coast of Greece back in the first century. And it wasn't a leisurely, light-hearted adventure. No, it was a matter of life and death, both for the missionaries who would come with a message that stirred people up and brought on some persecution, but a matter of life and death to those who needed to hear the gospel and be saved from their sins and put on the narrow path that leads to life. And of course, we're talking about the Apostle Paul and the missionary team. We know Luke is uh, aboard, and we know that uh, Silas and Timothy are uh, part of the team. And they're spreading the good news, as we've heard down the coast there. Uh, they're on European soil, the gospel, for the very first time. It's exciting. And they're uh, offering this word that forgiveness of sins and eternal life is available to anyone who trusts in God's Son. Uh, No need to fear judgment or impending wrath or gloom uh, because our sins are paid for. All you need to do is trust. That's an amazing uh, message. And it's it's been so helpful watching the team, their strategies, the reaction of the world, the method of sharing the gospel because... uh, Their calling to share the gospel is our calling. The world that they lived in is the world that we still live in. The reactions are the same. Either people open their hearts and they're transformed by the miraculous power and love of God, or they um, harden their hearts. They reject the message and uh, respond angrily and persecute both the uh, message and the messenger. And so uh, it is so awesome and insightful to be listening and for our own hearts to be um, encouraged in the same ways because we know it's pretty important and sharing the gospel is kind of a a challenge for us isn't it it really is i mean uh, we we are listening because uh, we know how important it is jesus said that he who has the son shall see life he who does not have the Son shall not see life because the wrath of God remains on them. In other words, impending judgment hangs over a sinner's head because those sins are not paid for because they haven't met Christ, they haven't trusted in his provision, and so they could be paid for. But as it stands, somebody rejects the payment plan of God's Son, then has impending wrath 
hanging over them. And so, yeah, that's why we're listening uh, here uh, with seriousness, because we know how important it is for us and those who don't know the Lord who are around us, who are depending on that. Now, uh, this missionary trip that they're taking isn't like the ones, uh, the adventures we take. I mean, we wake up in the morning, we have a destination. Uh, when we went down the coast, we had turn-by-turn uh, directions for sure. But uh, with these guys, no, it's a little bit different um, because they're trusting in the Lord. There are general parameters, of course, guiding them. But really, they're following the lead of the Holy Spirit. And so God is guiding them through various ways when they come upon uh, open doors and opportunities, receptive hearts. They'll stay in that city. They'll take it as a cue as God saying, this is where I want you. And when things heat up, there's persecution and their lives were in danger, they also took that as God's cue. All right, fellas, time to move along. <laughs> they seem to be following Jesus' instructions there, if, and I quote, If people don't welcome you, his instructions for short-term missions. If people don't welcome you, leave their town, shake the dust off your feet, meaning wash your hands of it, as a testimony against them, saying, hey, we came, we offered, and you turned it down. Uh, In other words, God wants us to be good stewards of our time and resources doing the Lord's work. Common sense. If somebody's not interested and they're fiercely opposed, it's just folly to keep pressing and pushing. Move on to where um, people are more open. And, and that's what's happening here. So we pick up now in the middle of Acts 17, as I've been saying, and the proverbial dust is flying from Paul's sandals once again as he has to flee for his life uh, for bringing a word of God's love to a community. Go figure. Uh, and so uh, let's get caught up with the map Yes, indeed. Here we go. (laughs) Here we go. All right. So, yeah, uh, they were in Thessalonica up here. And what was going on there is that everything was good until the Jews got jealous. Uh, Jewish leaders, you know, they lost half the congregation to the new rabbi, Paul. And the new thing was the new Messiah, Jesus. And so they got jealous. They stirred up uh, a riot and they got booted out of town. And, and they, wound up in, they wound up in Berea where the same thing happened again. So we last heard that the brothers in Berea, because the Jews followed them to Berea and were threatening Paul's life, And so they got them to the coast, Paul, that is, and escorted him down to Athens there. So they got the the brothers in Berea, the new believers, the locals, said, Ben, we've got to get you out of here. So they got him on a sailboat, and they escorted him. They know that route for sure. And they made sure that he was okay and got proper lodging and all of that at Athens. And uh, there he was. And as they waved goodbye to go back to Berea, Paul said, please send Silas and Timothy as soon as humanly possible. And then verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them, Silas and Timothy, in Athens, he was greatly distressed, very strong were just torn up inside to see that the city was full of idols, the word means swamped, crammed. So he reasoned so. Look at the order of things. This is important here. He's waiting. 
He gets distressed, and therefore, he reasons in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks. There are not Jewish ethnically who are attracted to the God of Israel. They're hanging out in the synagogue. As well as in the marketplace, he's sharing the gospel day by day with those who happen to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute that's not a pleasant exchange of ideas, right? Dispute with him. Some of them asked, What is this babbler trying to say? That's a rude. That's rude. <laughs> Others remarked, He seems to be advocating foreign gods. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, they said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Let's pause there. Lots to talk about. Believe it or not, we're going to spend most of our time right here getting built up with a foundation and a context for what's to come. This is a two-part message because there's no way to handle this uh, in one uh, uh, Sunday morning for sure. What happens here is he goes from the synagogue to the marketplace. He engages these locals, right? Something happens there and he gets an invitation of sorts to the big arena called Mars Hill or the Areopagus. All right, and that's the big boy time, okay, where they are going to have a debate, and Paul is going to give a brilliant, God inspired uh, treatise of, of sorts on how there is just one God who created heaven and earth, and he wants a relationship with me and you. And so that speech, as it's called sometimes, is, will be the topic of next week. But we can get as far as this paragraph and the next paragraph, which gets him to Mars Hill and his opening lines of his introduction. And then the meat of what he has to say, man, that's uh, two big paragraphs we will take uh, care of that next Sunday, Lord willing. So the first couple of sentences before you, uh, if you like to take notes, a nice heading would be provoked in spirit, Paul begins to preach. And and the first couple sentences will speak volumes to you. If you ever think, oh God, I, I want to be a better um, soul winner, uh, a better, uh, better at sharing the gospel with those I know who are, are spiritually needy. And this little insight here that people, you could pass it up in a second and not realize it in verses 16 and 17. Uh, it's really what you need to, to really be effective at Christian ministry with people and shining your light uh, as Jesus tells us to do. Um, and so, yeah, we, we all want to be better at this because sharing the gospel it's just kind of intimidating and it's awkward for most people and uh, we want to be more confident and bold so we, we pay attention to what's happening here. Now, verse 16, Paul's waiting. Evidently, he doesn't want to begin official ministry yet. He's just waiting. That's what your verse says. He's waiting. He's not going to start. He's a part of a team. They come into a town with a team. They go into the synagogue with a team. They start planting a church with a team. And if the church, uh, if there's persecution, the team gets kicked out usually together, you see? And if it explodes in goodness and there's massive conversions, then there are people to help. You can't plant a church by yourself. And so for good reason, he's waiting. He's biding his time. The clock is ticking and he's getting antsy as he walks about. You see, and so 
Yeah, he's in Athens. And something happens to cause Paul to throw caution to the wind and, and sidestep uh, the normal protocols and dive right in. And it's something he sees. And trust me, it's a lot to see in a place called Athens. Even though by the first century, uh, its real heyday had been over, the heyday 400 years earlier was Socrates and Aristotle and uh, uh, names like that were around. Uh, and, and so it was the intellectual, still, uh, academic capital of the ancient world. That's where Paul is now, and he's walking around there. Uh, maybe the feel of the cities of Cambridge or Oxford, where there's a lot of that high society, academia kind of thing. Athens was crammed with, I already said swamped, with idols and magnificent sculptures of heroes and works of fine art. The Acropolis, in Greek it means highest city. They put their cities at the highest point here. They built uh, the Parthenon, which is a, let me show you what I'm talking about. That uh, structure is a temple to Athena, and they named the place Athens after her, right? And so this is really the ruins of what was quite a wow kind of uh, city there. And so, yeah, everywhere you looked, there was something that displayed the Athenian love of beauty and uh, Greek ingenuity. Lots to marvel over in Athens. It was the world center for art, literature, oratory, theater, religion, and of course home to all those philosophers that shaped Western civilization. As I mentioned, Socrates and Plato and Aristotle and a host of others, you see. And so the Athenians had a lot on the ball, except one thing. They didn't know the Lord. And to quote our Savior Jesus, who said, what's it matter if you got the whole world by the tail? You got everything but you lose your own soul. What good is it? The seven wonders of the world don't mean much if you're estranged from the author of life, <laughs> you see. And what about all that wisdom, wisdom, wisdom? That's just crazy. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs 9 and 10. So all the so-called wisdom, if you don't revere God, you could be really, really smart at math, but if you don't know the one who created you and everything else around you, it's just a moot point. And so, yeah, how wise is it? I mean, Paul just laughs at all this wisdom, wisdom, wisdom stuff, and he tells the Corinthians this. Where is the wise person? Where's the scholar where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For with all the world's wisdom, they could not find God. Think about it. <laughs> this is the place, the culmination of all the wisdom and understanding of the ages. And these guys are bowing down to rocks, worshiping trees and creatures that slither on the ground and putting their hope in fairy tales, gods they invented. Gods in the shape and the image of men. Gods who uh, throw temper tantrums and murder and commit adultery and lie and steal. 
with gods like that, who needs the devil? You know? Oh, my word. Have you read some of that? Remember in high school, all of that Greek mythology? Oh, my word. And that's wisdom. Wisdom. No wonder the Bible says of the Lord speaking, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the so-called intelligent. That is Paul quoting Isaiah chapter 29. And instead God says, you know what? (laughs) I'm going to save the world and anyone who believes by the foolishness of preaching. So somebody's going to stand up there and preach a simple message that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He hung on a cross as a sacrifice for your sins. Just trust in him and live forever. And people roll their eyes and consider that dumb and backward and archaic. And it's the foolishness of the world. It's the wisdom of heaven. The wisdom of the world. Let me show you what the wisdom of the world is. Romans chapter 1. For although they knew God, because God says, I put the knowledge of myself in the conscience of every human I've ever created. For although they know about God, they know there's a God, they neither glorify him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened, although they claimed to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God to worship for images made to look like a mortal, a man, a woman, birds, animals, and reptiles, and bowing down to elephants with nine arms hanging out. (laughs) Oh, that's wise. (laughs) And singing songs to a tree. That's the world's wisdom. Or saying... Uh, you know what? There is no God. This all got here. Everyone plus everything came from nobody and nothing. Does that sound wise? No, it doesn't. And so for all of its beauty and all of its wow and all of it, there, this and that happens. Probably Paul was there for the first time. He's heard about all the glories since he was a little boy. But, you know, at the end of the day, it was a real letdown. And no doubt, Paul appreciated the wow factor and loved, you know, and enjoyed the good, if there was any good. And there was good there. There's lots of good in this world to enjoy. But uh, really, at the end of the day, the text says it's a city filled with idols. And where there's an idol, there's an idol worshiper. And where there's an idol worshiper, there's somebody who is going to perish because those who bow to other things instead of God won't inherit the kingdom of God, as the Bible says. And so, yeah, greatly distressed. The word means to be provoked, tore up on inside, upset, sharp. It's really a pang of compassion. It's a holy indignation. It's not aimed at the deceived. Like, this is a big mistake for Christians. We look around, we get grieved, we get offended, and we aim at them. Instead of getting offended at the devil who is in control of a system that has led people astray, you see. And instead of having compassion for them who have been duped, yes, willingly so, uh, uh, we get angry and offended and we build walls instead of building bridges. And so 
Paul, on the other hand, he's grieved for God's sake, for the sake of truth, for the people that right in front of him, right there, that person right there, bowing down, prostrate, chanting to a piece of wood. He knows where that person's headed. And he just can't take it anymore. And so, out of compassion for that person, he lays the normal protocols aside. I don't normally do this. This isn't the way things usually work. You know, I'm kind of stepping out of my comfort zone. Why? Because this person right there, right there, I could say something. I have to start, and I have to start now. If you see somebody drowning... And you're at a pool, and the life of the, the lifeguard is on their phone <laughs> somewhere. You're not going to throw the line. That's what's happening to him. And look at the order of it. While he's waiting, he's not going to do ministry until the team comes. He was greatly distressed to see everyone going to hell. So he re- so therefore he dove right in. He couldn't wait another second. I've got to start with or without them. I can't take this, you know. So maybe you are, you know, we're not waiting for Timothy and Silas, but we are hanging around the marketplace in Sonoma County waiting for the Lord. And while we're waiting for the Lord, we see a world filled with idols and those worshiping things they shouldn't worship. And then that compassion and pain in our hearts, if there is one, if you have a pain for people who are lost, if you have the Holy Spirit, if you believe the Bible, if you're a Christian, you have a pain, you care. And if there's not a pain at all, and all around you people are perishing, and you don't care, Houston, we have a problem. All right. I think you get the point there. It was a little more hard on you guys than first service. I don't know. I don't know why that happened. And so, yeah, that's what's going on there. Yeah. So, unbelieving visitors may go to that city and be wow, wow, wow with the oohs and the ahs. But at the end of the day, Christians like Paul, you know what? We've got this thing called cognitive dissonance. And what does that mean? It means two realities are in our head and clashing and causing a little bit of disturbance, all right? Because on one hand, like Jesus, filled with joy more than anybody else. That's what Hebrews 1 says of Jesus. And then Isaiah 53 says this. He was a man filled with sorrow and acquainted, well acquainted with grief. And so there's these two things, the beauty of the world. And, and, and you know what it says in the Bible? It says, we put our hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And so we see the good and we have joy and we love people. And, and, and you know what? Uh, we see trees are green, red roses too. <laughs> We see, we see them bloom for me and you, but we still have to say to ourselves what a very lost world, you see? So we've got the both things going. We're like, whoa, whoa, <laughs> right? And that's on our bike trip. Oh, the most amazing beach towns. We're going through them. We're like, whoa, wow. And every few minutes, 
punctuated by the smell of people getting high. So it's like, wow, look at that. Oh, come on, man. Beautiful world, sad realities. We gotta find a way to walk in it. That's for sure. And so what mattered most to Paul and why he's bummed out is not aesthetic beauty, vast achievements, fabulous theater, flashy chariots, social status, incredible athletic prowess. Uh, As John put it, not the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. What matters most to Christians is the honor of God what's true and what's right, and the spiritual condition of eternal souls of men and women around us, whom God has placed in our care. That's what, at the end of the day, that's our conclusion. And so we're grieved like he was grieved, and that's why he got started, and that's why we can wait no longer. We dive right in. So he goes to the synagogue there. He probably went in and said, guys, 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 the Jews hate idols. And so to go in to a place like that where those Jews are like, oh, oy vey, you know, you know, I'll tell you what, there were 10,000 people only who lived in Athens in the first century. And did you know there were 30,000 idols? 30,000 idols. It was easier to find a god, they used to say, than a person in Athens. And so here are the Jews meeting, and I think Paul's message was, let's get the Messiah and let's go after them. Come on, guys. And so then he goes into the marketplace. No time to lose. Uh, Jude verse 23 says, snatch some of them from the fire. Right there, just pull them. Just grab them. Pull them out with a word from the Lord. And that's what he's going to do. So he strikes up conversations with people, passerbys. And, you know, he... He's making friends. He's stepping up on some platforms in the city. They have, in a lot of cities, they have open air forums. And they have little, you know, in London, they call it Speaker's Corner. And you can stand up and you start speaking. And so that was the case there. And so, yeah, he, he's speaking and he, he, he gets uh, into a debate of sorts there. And uh, he engages them. Uh, and two schools of thought are represented there. And, and why I think the Holy Spirit points out the two schools of thoughts is because it's the high and the low of society. And you always have the high and the low of society. And they happen to be on the same ship. It's called the Titanic, right? And so it doesn't matter if you're an Epicurean or a Stoic. You need Jesus or you're going to perish. So that's the point. Uh, uh, the Epicureans, uh, it was uh, Epicurus. 300 years earlier, uh, who fathered this kind of thinking, uh, but he didn't need any help. I, it was been around for a long time before him. Uh, only one life, twill soon be passed. Live it up now, time goes fast. You know, they just, yeah, it didn't go over first service either. I, tr- <laughs> I don't know. I think it, you expect a different thing there. But you know what? No God, no life after death. Let's eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow uh, we die. If it feels good, do it. That's them. Uh, they, they don't care uh, what society thinks. I'm going to be a self-indulgent sinner. Big deal. You know, I'm going to live for myself. You've got a problem with that? Get over it. That's them. 
All right. Now, the other side, the high society people, um, <laughs> I always go British when yeah. the Stoics, they, were, they lived painfully disciplined lives because they're a cut above. We, we're better than those who can't say no to their animal passions. Thank you very much. But not because it's the right thing to do, and certainly not for God, for themselves. Because we're going to pay our taxes, we're going to work hard at our careers, and we're going to have the perfect house with the perfect lawn and the perfect white picket fence. And guess what? Not one thought to God. We will not thank him over a meal. We will just, you know, this is all about me and my discipline and look at my hard work and all of that. So I think, you know, both sides there are represented there that they need the gospel. And so Paul hits a nerve and gets an invite of sorts. He will be invited to the big arena there at Mars Hill. Uh, But what is their reaction there? They say two dumb things in verse 18. The first begins with an insult. Well, what's the first thing they say when, hey, God loves you. There's one God. He created everything. He sent his son to die for you. He loves us. There's just one God and one Lord. You know, what's this babbler trying to say? Well, why? Why do you have to do that? Well, one writer said this. They recognize at once the distinctive power of Paul's presence and tangible impact of his words and immediately label him a blabberer a babbler in an attempt born out of envy to cut him down to size. They already know. Here comes competition. Oh, well, yeah, here they feel it. They know. Well, I'm in trouble. I don't have that kind of power. Uh, what's this babbler trying to say? Right? Just, just kind of cut him right off at the knees. So it's not going to work. The next dumb remark is that they talk about him like he's not in the room. You know, what's he trying to say? Well, I'll tell you. He seems to be advocating foreign gods. When I read that in my office, I go, what? 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 We know Paul. We know what he would be advocating. How in the world could you take what Paul the Apostle would say as he's talking about foreign deities? Oh, my word. Well, Luke tells you why they said it. It said they say they say this because he was taught, telling them the gospel about Jesus and the resurrection. How does that clear things up? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Oh, that's a god. Resurrection, resurrection, resurrection. The word is Anastasis, where you get the word Anastasia, the name, a goddess in their minds. You see, when you live with error and believe lies so long that the truth has a hard time making its way in because everything you hear, you hear through the warped lens of wrong thinking. And so they hear the gospel about the God the Father and God the Son or the resurrection and they start thinking there's more than one God. Here's what Paul did preach everywhere he went to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6. But for us, there's one God, the Father, by whom all things were created and for whom we live. And there's one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things were created and through whom we live. Ah, guess what? It's kind of like one and the same sort of thing that Jesus is God and God is Jesus and we live for him and he made everything. That doesn't sound like rocket science to me. You see, 
but it was hard for them. So uh, there you have it. That uh, the uh, now we're going to transition to Mars Hill. Uh, God is going to introduce a new mindset. One God, Creator of all things, and He wants a relationship. Time to turn from your silly fairy tales into the truth that can set your hearts free. Verse 19. With this paragraph, we wrap things up. Then they took him. The Greek is took hold of him and brought him escorted him, apprehended him. So this is, it's going to sound really pleasant, but no, 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 no. (laughs) They use such polite speech. They always do. Um, To the meeting of uh, Ares is, I already told you, I think Mars, the Greek form of the Roman Ares is Mars and Pagos is hill. Uh, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? You're bringing some strange ideas. That, that, that kills me right there. Strange ideas. God made everything and he loves us. Oh, that's so strange. Uh, strange ideas to our ears. Your, your ideas that, that snakes are gods. That, that's not a strange idea. Okay. <laughs> strange ideas to our ears. We want to know what they mean. Now, by the way, Luke says, by the way, all the Athenians and even the foreigners who live there spend their time doing nothing else but talking, 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 listening to the latest ideas. Uh, the, the latest there is novel. Verse 22, Paul then stood up at the meeting at the Areopagus and said, men of Athens, I see that in every way you're so very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Now, what you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you who he is and what he's all about. <laughs> what a genius. And of course, he was, <laughs> he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, right? You see... So now, as one writer put it, we've seen what Paul uh, saw, how Paul felt, what Paul did, and now what Paul said. And uh, we'll just get down to the introduction. And boy, even in the introduction, it's a wowzer. So now, first of all, notice, and Paul does say this to the Corinthians. I believe it's 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. uh, Follow me as I follow Christ. He wants us to imitate him. Paul is good and at home and at ease with high society, low society. He's good at the mall. He's good in the courtroom. He's good at home. He's good at the gym. He's good at the locker room. He's just really, and this is what he said to the Corinthians. You know what I do? And I quote, I try to find common ground with everyone so that I may save some. Those are his words. Now, Paul knows that only God saves. He's just saying he uses us to save people, and I want to build bridges. I don't want to build walls. So Paul's found a way to just kind of, out of compassion for their soul, 
to just kind of find something relatable. And, and people, we have more in common with sinners than we might care to admit. I mean, uh, you know, one writer said, some Christians need to be reminded that they're of the same species with their unbelieving counterparts, you know. So Paul wasn't like that. He could share and found something to connect with anybody. And so now... At the Areopagus, it's a legislative power. <laughs> Just so you know, they're the authorities, right? And uh, legal jurisdiction happened there. They had great power and authority over matters and religion and morals and all of that. And it seems like it was not just all fun, fun and games here, that something solemn and serious was going on, because I told you, the, the, the word is they took hold of him and they escorted him to the authorities. And, but, and saying, uh, we're hearing some strange stuff. Would you like to clarify in front of uh, all of these people here? Why don't you tell us? One God, that would mean all the other gods are false. That would mean this great temple is built to nothing. Yeah, we just wouldn't need you to clarify. You're just saying there's only one path to get to heaven and all of this. And so that's what they're doing so they're saying in essence hold on cowboy let's get you in front of the council clarify here are you introducing a new god are you saying that he's the only true living god and there are no other gods and all these idols are worthless come on speak so now what follows in the the 10 verse sermon that's coming uh is not really called a sermon by the, the commentators they call it more of a speech or a personal defense uh, to get these idol worshipers kind of thinking in the right direction with one God, the maker of heaven and earth, in relationship with one God. Now, I love the parenthetical little information that Dr. Luke gives us. <clears throat> these Athenians love to hang out all day, and they drink, uh, how you say it in Greece, because it was important when we were there, I had to learn the word. Uh, it's espresso, but you say it like an Italian. You say it, espresso. <laughs> you want to try it? I know you do. Go ahead. Espresso. Very, very Italian of you. Even though it's Greek. So, yeah. <clears throat> so they, they would drink their espresso, and, and they would talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. The, wor <clears throat> the word there implies circles. Circular, merry-go-round kind of odd curiosity, not novel idea, not noble ideas. They weren't all sitting around drinking espresso and saying, how do we solve world hunger? How do we make the world better? You know, how do we all get here? What happens when we die? No, none of that. Like Redondo Beach in the summertime. <laughs> Surfers, surfboards, surf lingo, surf shops, beach cruisers with surfboard racks, surf stickers, surf talk, I already said that one, uh, <laughs> high tide, low tide, wind speed, waves, all of this stuff from sunrise to sunset. <clears throat> everyone's just hanging loose waiting for the next wave. Here, everyone's just hanging loose waiting for the next odd 
discussion. And here's nothing to be admirable, admirable. Here's what they would say. Hey, listen up, everybody. If a tree falls in the woods and no one's, <laughs> no one's there to hear it, does it even make a sound? Because don't you need an ear to hear the sound waves? So maybe, oh. which came first, the chicken or the egg? You know what? Just have an omelet. Be quiet. Be happy. <laughs> Or how about this deep refrain? How many roads must a man walk down before you can call him a man? The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. The answer is blowing in the wind. What does any of that mean? Is blowing in the wind the answer to how many roads you gotta walk down before you become a real man? This is what they were doing past the espresso. Yeah, so here's what the Bible describes silly souls who do that kind of thing. Quote, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. How about you Athenians start asking, how did I get here? What's the purpose of life? Why do I like doing the wrong thing? And am I going to ever be held accountable after I die? What happens after I die? Is there a heaven or hell? Oh, no, 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 no. Those are strange things to be talking about. Athenians are interested in these things. The restroom signs have to have the right symbol. This is important to them. And they spend lots of time to try to figure out what a woman is. (laughs) And they spend lots of time talking about the right pronouns to use for a male and a female. Let's spend days and weeks and months about that, but not one second about your eternal destiny and your soul. That's the Athenian way to do it. Now, it's go time. We're finishing up here. Um, Starting with the opening words, nothing but sheer unadulterated genius. Um, When... Needing to have a hard conversation, I've said this before, find something nice to say, always start. It's so much better to open with something positive than a poke in the eye. You just don't, you don't do that. He could have come in and said, my, 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 this is one of the most pagan cities on the planet. I have been around, I have never seen such folly. I have never seen so many smart things, smart people doing such dumb behavior. Yeah, and then he could have kicked over one of the idols right there. He said, this is what God thinks of your stupid idol. Boom. Now, there are Christians like that, that think that that's the way to start a conversation. You know what, sir? You're going to hell. I don't think so. How about, hey, sir, you know what? You work hard. Man, I notice that. you got a pretty good career there. Well, that's been a lot of sacrifice. You, you know, you start like that. So what does he see? He sees devotion. They're devoted. So here's what he says. As I walked around town, I noticed you guys are more religious than most. One thing you can say about Athenians, you, can take, you take your religion serious. You know he got an amen there. It's like, that's right. That's right. And then, you know, he's not congratulating them. He's pointing out something they could take as a compliment. We need to start finding some nice things to say. 
Oh, my word, you know? Okay, so, and here's the best part. He finds a way to introduce truth in the context of their worldview. And he hits the jackpot here. Oh, my word. Here's what he says. You guys are so devoted to religion that I even found an altar with this inscription on it to an unknown God. In case we overlooked you, we love you, too. Uh, And it's like, wow, that's impressive, guys. Uh, Just in case you may have overlooked one, uh, you're covering your bases. You wouldn't want to offend that God. You know, that's that's serious conviction. So what I'm here to do is introduce you to the God you already acknowledge exists out there outside of your understanding. You already know he's there. You already have vowed to worship him. And some of you have bowed the knee already to a God you just don't know. And I'm here to help you make his acquaintance. I'm going to tell you all about him next week. (laughs) Let's pray together. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the commitment, the sacrifice, the genius, and albeit, of course, the grace of God upon Paul's life that makes all of that uh, such a a wow. We want to be like that, God. We want to have more confidence and boldness, more wisdom, true wisdom, God. The world around us is perishing, talking themselves in circles. Oh, Lord, help us to have a compassionate heart and dive in to snatching a few of them out of the fires. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.